Well, there's breaking news out of the Excel world, Matt. And uh, I felt like if there's anything that I want to cover in detail is updates to Excel and more importantly, really esoteric updates to Excel. So this is the one I think we mentioned on the show a few weeks, months ago, that Microsoft Excel will automatically convert uh, things that look like a date um, to a date. So if you type in March 1, that becomes a date, right? Which is probably what... 99% 99% of the people out there think uh, would be the right behavior. And the problem with the, this, as, as we reported earlier, was uh, genes, uh, actually, the scientific you know, human genome often uses the, uh, <laughs> that's right, the, uh, they often use these, you know, some of these words in uh, naming genes. So like March 1 is the name of a gene. So it's the membrane-associated ring CH type finger 1, whatever that means. So anyway, yeah. long story short, the scientist would type this into Excel. Excel would automatically change it to dates. Then, boom, chaos, right? Like people had to manually go in and change it. All the data got corrupted. And who knows, maybe this set back us discovering the human gene bone for many, many months. But fear not. The Excel people have our product manager must have got wind of this. They fixed this Excel feature. Uh, and so what they have done is you can now quote disable, uh, can convert. They have this feature now. So it's just a checkbox. You can basically turn off, convert continuous letters and numbers to date. So you can just turn that off. And that way that the scientists can now paste in their data. Now, and it will that, not automatically be converted. Go ahead. All right. So, uh, you know, put on your product manager hat. Um, is that a setting that's saved within the Excel file itself, or is that a you? Oh, is that a local setting? user? I believe. Setting? I believe, based on uh, what I read, you know, that it was a global setting. So you just do it one time, but you have to do it. I think you're right. I think you. But, have but to everyone support. would have to do it, right? So if you're yes. sharing, if there's oh. that one scientist who did, who you know, refuses to upgrade oh. his 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 version of Excel, or God forbid. He's still using like Excel on the desktop or something. No, well, you bring, he's got like the 2017 edition or something. It's like, what? What do? We, why do I need to upgrade? He's like, I'm not spending three hundred dollars because you know of the stupid March one bug. You have immediately brought up several good issues. One, <laughs> all the scientists have to simultaneously upgrade to the new version. Then two, because somebody won't turn it on, right? Thank like God for right? And then, so what happens is they're going to import the spreadsheet or they're going to open it. And I wonder what happens. I wonder if it then automatically goes. So it's like someone's going to be like, I did all the work. It's all correct. And then someone else is going to open the work workbook. And then it's like, uh-oh. If they type in March 1, then it'll convert to a date. So several, oh, that's a good, I don't know. We're going to have to, you know what? There could be follow-up to this follow-up. I don't, I would This is one of those bugs that's going to like, oh, we fixed it in 2023. And then, you know, come 2030, there's still going to be like people getting bit by this thing. This is, this well, is. This I mean, like, given given the history of Office, this is you know this is easily a twenty year bug, probably. Well, there's also so this is the um, this was the thing that I thought was funny. So they did all this and they fixed it, right? Or you know they announced it. And there's a blog that you can go read about how they did it. But they also said in the in the blog they said there is also a known issue. You can't disable the conversions when running macros. So if you're, <laughs> which of course is like. I don't know. I don't know what the scientists do. I don't know if like macro people, but if you got if you are a macro person with your Excel scientific data, then you're just SOL. You're just back to like you don't have a fix. Although like I'm really curious now. The one you said there, it's like, yeah, so if I send you the workbook and you open the workbook, because I don't think it will read all I, the I, I think this is another again. case for, for Jupyter notebooks, right? 
oh well you know this that's the preferred uh, that's the preferred <laughs> method oh, for the sorry department. yeah real but, scientists don't use excel <laughs> yeah, well, no, these these are legitimate. Like these are actually no, 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 no. scientists. That's what I'm saying. It's like, but they, but they're like the kind of scientists that don't have time to learn. Oh, I know, stuff. I know the kind. Like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's like I, I am that. a scientist. I do not learn Excel, and it's like here we are. But all of this is like so. One, congratulations to Microsoft for sort of fixing this bug. I mean, I think it is. Hey, they, they fixed it as best they can. The, the problem is they're, they're a victim of their own success, and you know this is this is going to continue to bite people for well probably as long as they support the win 32 api <laughs> but i feel for them because like i'm sure this was brought up oh i know like, i mean because like not you have to think 99.99 percent of the people that use excel when you type in march one you want it to be a date like that is what you're thinking right so the fact that this i i would say whoever first publicized it because like the verge is now covering this which oh I'm yeah it, this, they're this all of it a couple so years I think now. that's why uh, congratulations to the version other tech publications brings up because that's the only reason this guy fixed you know somebody walked in somebody's boss is like listen we can't have the scientists studying genes you know changing the name of genes so that's what they did they basically <laughs> went through and they gave the, the genes new names for like new like digits so it wouldn't automatically they can't be like hey we can't hold back scientific progress because we have this date field so so you can see where it came you can see where they were like this is what's going on. It's and somebody probably, probably got you. Yeah. Exists somewhere, somewhere else, but you know, at least they didn't. At least they didn't try to spin it off as like you know the Excel Scientific Edition or something like that. <laughs> that would have been even worse. Where they double the price and they're like, "Yup," and you get a checkbox. <laughs> yes, but but you know what? Then then the scientists could when they're talking to each other, they're like, uh, "I can't send it to you. You're you're not using Scientific Edition." That's you know, true. and it would be like XLSXSE is the extension. That's it. Well, now they did say there was a feature in there that will automatically, uh, it would notify you if you're changing data automatically. That was another little nice thing. Mm. So maybe that's their backup. It's I like, like it. If, if things start to get changed automatically, it tells you like, hey, you know, your scientific data is being all changed. So, yeah. All right. But this brings me to the question. And I want, I'll give you a second to think about it. It's like, uh, it, it doesn't have to be a Microsoft product, but maybe it, it, it will be for you. So like, <laughs> but if I let you fix, like, what is the Matt Ray esoteric bug in software, in uh, oh, any okay. software that I was like, okay, here's your your bug fix uh, super card. Like, you know, it's like, yep, I'm going to fix this one specific bug or feature. So while I'll give you a moment to think about that, oh, I'm going to say mine is this, right? Very, very petty, small thing is uh, in Microsoft Outlook on a Mac, right? The, you know how the key, the hotkeys, anytime you use a Microsoft product on a Mac, the hotkeys are just always not what you think they are. They're never like, uh, uh, whatever, command, whatever. It's always like control shift. Like there's like several weird things you have to do. Now, the one I want to change is when I am done with an email, I want to hit the delete key, but I want the delete key of the email to archive the email, much like it does in MimeStream. And if you've ever used Microsoft Outlook on a Windows machine, you hit backspace, which is like the perfect way. Like I've done the email. I hit backspace and it archives email, right? I don't want it actually delete it. So the current key combination is control E. Why is it control E in Microsoft? I have no idea. So that's the only way you yeah, can do it. Because that's in the blind. <laughs> but it's super annoying. It's like the perfect key. And because Microsoft has figured this out on Windows, right? They're like, yeah, the backspace key is perfect, right? Because you just hit it, it archives it. And uh, for native Mac applications like MimeStream, they've also figured it out. Like, yeah, you just set your preference. When I hit delete, I don't mean delete. 
I mean, of course, I'm not deleting an email, just archive it, right? So that's mine. I want to change control E. If and I would settle for like like they did here. It's fine. You can embed this thing as a preference inside a checkbox, inside a drop down list, wherever you want. However many levels you want to go, I'll do it. I'll find it and I want to change it. So if, if they won't actually change the default key, um, then that's fine. A preference would be good. So that's my petty, small Microsoft uh, Outlook change that I would want. Now, do you have any specific features that you would like changed that are, if we call them petty and small? I think some of the, the Gmail key shortcuts are, I can, I can never remember any of them because none of them are very intuitive. Um, like archiving stuff or, you know, some of the, I, maybe there aren't key shortcuts, but so I, I haven't given this the level of thought that you have, but I have your solution. Okay. Yep. So macOS will actually let you do key overrides per yep. application. I've seen this. Yes. Go on. So, yes. so you Go could ahead. actually mm-hmm. set uh delete to be control E. Yep. So there's your, your solution. I have, but then it's like, you can't get like, then you can't, you use know, delete. I'm always, I guess let me say this. Like when I've done it, it's like, it is incredibly powerful what you're talking about. The max, because it is, it's nice. The max is like, oh, listen, yeah. you want to go in here and you want to take, you want to drive, I'm going to let you drive. But it's like, I'm always just a little worried. I'm like, a global override per application. It's like, it could go a lot of different ways, right? Because it's well, always. Uh, but that's the, the nice thing is you can make it specific only to one application. Yeah. yeah I guess you're right. Maybe which is kind of cool. I'm just a little gun shy. I'm always like, whenever time I'm in there, I'm like, because it's the same thing with um, Mac will do like what, like word substitutions. Like you can type in like a short word. Yeah, I've never really gotten like, it is what I want, but I'm like, this is a little too powerful for me. Like I'm a little Well, it it never really worked consistently enough for me. I think there's something in the application that has to know about it. I I didn't know where that level of find and replace was happening because of like, I've tried that and it would, I think it would like, you know, it would work in Word, but not Emacs or, you know, it wouldn't work in, you know, it wouldn't, it wasn't consistent enough for me to use it. But, um, but yeah, the, the global setting you, you, that we were talking about before the show that I love is, is uh, paste without formatting, which, you know, that, that is a global default for me, which does bite you occasionally. But then you can go to the menu of your app and say paste. So yes. if you actually want your formatting preserved. You can use the the menu, but so that's like, another you know, one that like, if we went to Apple, we could argue be like, listen, the default behavior should be no, case without formatting. Most no, people, the, the default lifestyle when you see their ads of people dragging and dropping things across applications, that's what it's there for. Do people do that though? Aren't yeah, those, they aren't do. those ads like aspirational? Aren't most people like I got to paste from the Word doc to this Mac uh, yeah. for the Safari browser, and it's like. Anytime you cross that, it's like crossing the streams and Ghostbusters. Like yeah. when you're going from a Microsoft app cut and you're pasting into like the Apple native world, there is, there's, I mean, anything could happen. Hurricanes can be spawned, you know, life threatening events can happen, or it could actually paste the text. Genes can get turned into dates. Right. You don't know what happens when you're cutting and pasting between those. Like, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, AI changes and, and all the great things that are happening in the world. But for some reason, Cutting and pasting between a Mac app and a Microsoft app on, uh, on uh, I guess, let's say Mac OS is a problem that will live on for decades, right? There's no amount of AI that we could uh, we could apply to this problem where it'd be like, hey, you know what? Like, don't paste it in 27-point bold. 
You know, it's like, how could you know that that's nobody wants that? That's not. I've never done that. I wouldn't want it. How could we train the machine learning algorithm to know that? Hey, why don't you just paste in and match the same exact well, font it, already there? Yes, I, that's why I did it because it was like, at no point am I ever going to want what's in a web page repeated in my Word doc. Never, ever, ever. So, all right, well, we fixed it. So now that the Microsoft people have fixed uh, the scientific genome problem, I agree. Now they should turn their attention to my uh, petty email uh, archive uh, problem. So I look forward to in uh, Outlook version, whatever we're on now, because there's a new version of Outlook on the Mac. And it actually does. It has frequent updates, always updates I don't care about, a lot of new features I never use. So they could sneak this one in in like a point release and just be like, hey, heard on Software Defined Talk. You know, now you can remit that the delete. <laughs> I would say that would be real success for this podcast. That would maybe if, be if we had a hotline to anyone's product management, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. So, all right. Well, speaking of Microsoft, they had quite uh, a good week. So the, uh, the news uh, this week was Microsoft released their earnings and it says uh, the headline was, Microsoft blows past earnings estimates as cloud growth comes in hot. So I guess the official numbers here are uh, it's a 19% bump in revenue to $24.3 billion during the latest quarter. quarter. And analysts were only looking for $23.5 billion. So as we all know, uh, whenever you exceed the analyst uh, expectations, uh, your stock goes up. So that part was in itself you know, nice because I think up until now, everyone's been talking about what they call it in your world optimization, right, Matt? Everyone's always optimizing, which this is a short way of saying, we're not sure why people aren't buying anything, but we'll just assume they're optimizing. Okay. <laughs> um, that's what I have a word that yes. really means. They might um, not be spending more, but they're happier. Yeah, but they're optimizing, right? Because who isn't optimizing? We're all optimizing. But one of the things I thought was kind of interesting, kind of uh, one of the talking points is they said uh, Microsoft has now has 1 million paid copilot users and more than 37,000 organizations that subscribe to copilot for business. So our friend, uh, Jay, uh, Jamin Bell ball, rather I always say his name wrong. He over, um, he's a venture capitalist we've had on the show. So he, he did the math for us and he says that it converts into a $120 million, uh, annual, uh, revenue business recurring revenue. So my, so my initial thought was like, this is probably, the the revenues wise is probably the highest grossing business for AI. For like AI? is that is that like a crazy thought to throw out? Do you think? There's something I, I mean, unless it? unless you count like licensing deals where you know OpenAI is the back end to somebody or you know or something similar to that where you know they're making money but they're being resold under something else. Right. So there's kind of yeah. that. But I kind of just like I, the one thing that just struck me here was like. You know, it's like kind of contrasting a lot of the the various like, you know, waves of technology we come and always like, how are people going to make money? But I like the simplicity of this. It's like there's Git, uh, GitHub Copilot, which I've not used, but I've used obviously a lot of the AI tools for generating code. And it's like, yeah, once you've done it, you're never going back. I'm just like, I'm 100% convinced of that value proposition. And it's, if it's not worth $10 a month, I mean, it's really, if anything, it's priced low. It's worth a lot more than that, in my opinion. So in, I love well, they're, they're worried about losing even more money. <laughs> That's what's, saying. That's what's kind of weird here, though. It's like, well, this is great because we can understand the value it brings. We understand why people want to use it. And on, you know, kind of the absolute number of $120 million, like that's a good business. Of course, it's not billions of dollars. But then as I wanted to get your take, it's like, well, as we all know, to actually run these queries, like what do you think it actually costs them 
to actually service, I guess you think about all the GPUs yeah. and all the computing costs. Like, do you think it's well over $120 million a year? Well, that, to that's actually, uh, service these queries. That's what, you know, folks are, are speculating that, um, I mean, just based off of, you know, no numbers around how much AI costs uh, that, you know, every time you uh, write up a hello world, you know, you're burning down five trees. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean that that's kind of the the offset, and, and so ostensibly Microsoft is losing, you know, I, what was the number? They they lose twenty dollars a month per customer or, or something like that. Um, well, they're charging ten dollars a month per customer, so I don't know. Right. I mean, I know a, a OpenAI has said something like it's something like that. They lose X dollars per month, you know, for every query, you know, or something like that. But, you know, but obviously this is still the acquisition, you know, the. Uh, customer acquisition phase, right? Where uh, they know they know how they're going to make money. They know, they have an obvious, obviously attractive model where people have decided 10 bucks a month sounds decent, right? So if, if they start charging more, maybe they lose the volume. I, I, you know, a million seems like a lot. Um, but it's also, yeah, I mean, it's a million users is a lot of users. Uh, to think that there are that many developers, seats that, you know, are, are paying for it. I, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised. Um, but that's mostly because, because <laughs> like, I don't trust, I, I know the quality is pretty high, but like I spend a lot of time scrutinizing code, finding the little things that are bad. And I don't know if I would trust AI enough where I wouldn't feel like I'm constantly in code reviews, but I'm constantly in code reviews anyway. So, yeah. Uh, it's either here or well, there. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think it replaces that. I think it's sort of like you still want to go through the code review, and more importantly, hopefully, you're running on your unit tests. So it's like that's the one. Yeah. Place- see, the, the, I mean, the problem I, I feel like is it <laughs> it unlocks people who don't know what they're doing to do it faster. And you know, as as someone who's on the like the goalie end of of receiving pull requests, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out like you know what are the side effects of this. What's wrong with this? And, you know, I, I talked about it in the Slack channel this week. I, I got a, you know, a pull request for a documentation update that, you know, clearly had been run through chat GPT or something or, you know, Bart or whoever, because the guy was, you know, you look him up on GitHub and he was doing, you know, dozens, if, if not, you know, maybe hundreds of PRs to lots of projects, just spamming them. And, you know, this is innocuous ish, you know, where it's, it's, Hey, you know, these are just readmes, and, you know, he's trying to get him added to the contributors, but what happens when the next person's like, okay, I've got a list of everything that's using go, everything that uses the Cobra CLI building library. I'm going to submit the same vulnerability patch to 150 things. And, you know, I've kind of built up the thing and it's, it's, it's a way of weaponizing script kitties where they don't really know what they're doing, but they're sending, sending it to a lot of places faster. I I feel, you know, and, and, you know, initially when I got the PR, I was like, okay, good. Nice. You know, a documentation update. And then I was like, this reads like AI. And then I, you know, looked up the user and yeah, it, it was definitely like the same spammy stuff over and over again. So I, I just I wish things were a little slower sometimes where I could spend enough time ensuring high quality gets through. Maybe maybe we need more AI testing is what we need. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you bring up a good question. I mean, I think it's all things with AI. It's like the scale, right? Things can be done at such scale and so quickly, right, that it sort of can overload um, 
you know, people looking at it, but I will say, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've just had so many positive experiences. Oh yeah. I've definitely had positive. Yeah. I I just wish that, um, I, I, I move really fast, which makes me feel like I'm skipping steps and I, I, and I worry about, I worry about my own quality, let alone the quality of other people's stuff. If you don't know a language well enough and you start submitting huge PRs, who knows what's getting through it. Right. But I mean, I definitely, you know, there's definitely the case where you're talking about where somebody, I don't know, that was even, that was even some more nefarious thing. I guess like, that person is trying to build up his profile and his GitHub. Uh, but, so, but and it's, so a, it's a little bit more weird. But like on the other side, it's like, it is nice um, in my own limited usage, but it's sort of like, I would much rather like spend the time like using it and like, quote unquote, making sure my source code is good. You know, like it, it's done the yes. quote, most appropriate way yes. before no. I send it. And it's like, you know, like I think oh, I, I, I'm all for it. I'm all right. for it. I just, you know, don't don't disregard those of us who have to merge other people's code. No, no, I totally get it. I just, <laughs> you know, Python, Python is the language I've been playing with the most lately, and it's like there's always this um, this this prompt where you can take like what you wrote and be like write it so it's more Pythonic, and then you're like, oh, that's how the professionals do it. You're like when I when you they, yeah. you're like oh, and I don't I don't oh, know the languages well enough, um, right? So so I, I feel like you know what am I missing? You know. It, yeah. it makes me second guess myself even more, which maybe I should. Maybe I should lean on the AI to be like, hey, tell me, tell me what I'm missing here. But well, I think it's like we always talk about it's automation, right? It's like obviously, you know, you want to like look at it, but then at the same time, you, it doesn't get you out of like the unit test, the code reviews. It's just like how what are, to your point earlier point, like how can AI help you do that? Can AI point some of this stuff out? So um, but kind of wrapping on the Microsoft thing, I just wanted to say, like, I, I would want your take on this, but you know, my feeling is like Microsoft is just dominating this generative AI. They have done everything right. I feel like they have a, a good product that has a growing a revenue, even though it, it may cost them money. I think it makes sense. Uh, they've done the partnership with OpenAI, and they kind of converted this into a nice earnings narrative, which led to um, you know at least a little uptick in their stock. So I'm like, I think if we were declaring a winner at this point, like I feel like Microsoft has just crushed it. Like they have done, they have played. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like we often say, like Microsoft's like behind as are like are that has often a narrative around other things like mobile. But I'm like here, they they are far and away. I guess kind of like if you will, pace outpacing Google and AWS. Is that too strong? Am I giving them too much praise? No, I mean I think you know we AI wasn't even like kind of on our radar when they did the the GitHub acquisition. But we knew that that would give them a leg up for the next steps. You know, the assumption being, oh, you know, they're going to be, you know, open source and, you know, the developer mind minds, you know, if you can hold the center of that universe, you know, you'll have, you'll have a leg up on whatever happens next. Well, here we are and whatever happens next, right? They've got, they've got all the code. Uh, they've got the developer relationship. They, AI shows up and they're like, oh yeah, we know how we can monetize that. Yeah. And everyone else is a little flat footed. Um, because, you know, why would I use a Google product versus a Amazon product versus a product that reads everyone's GitHub? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, you know, I don't know. We'd have to go back in time. I wonder what we said about the GitHub acquisition at the time. I wonder if we said good things or bad things, but oh, now, we said good things. Yeah, I, 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 I we did. Um, but we'll have to, we'll let someone else fact check us on if said, but like now looking ahead, I don't think Microsoft anticipated this, but you're right. It's like, talk about like it working out in the sense of like, you're like, you know, owning GitHub is going to be strategically valuable down the road. Yeah. And there was a lot of you know benefits with just Azure in general and goodwill. And now that they've got, 
you know, a product that they can directly monetize, you're like, wow, this could turn out to be, you know, a huge win for them. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, credit, credit to Microsoft. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is Google. So Google, uh, I don't know why. Do we always have to say Alphabet? This is the parent Alphabet, sure. Cloud Division, misses revenue estimates as Microsoft Cloud boom. So, okay. So this was the numbers here. So Google Cloud third quarter rev, uh, revenue rose to 20, or rose, rose 22.5% to $8.41 billion. Unfortunately. That sounds good. It does. When you read that part, you're like, sounds good. And but you read the next sentence, it's like the slowest growth, the slowest growth since at least the first quarter of 2021. And uh the cloud unit reported an operating income of 266 million compared to last year's loss of 440 million. So sounds good. I mean, I guess what we're seeing here is like a real contrast, right? Is that like Microsoft really leading the way. Of course, this is always such a weird thing because Google sort of, if you will, the people at Google were the ones who like wrote the transformer that sort of like set off the AI res- uh, revolution, at least as we're kind of this version of it. And so it's not kind of showing up in Google's numbers here though. And I guess it's sort of, uh, I don't know. I think that's gotta be extremely frustrating for the GCP leadership that, you know, you kind of had all of this, but you're not seeing the revenue. So I don't know. What do you think? What do you think the, the people at Google are thinking right now? Well, I mean, what, what, so, so if they're, uh, if they're operating income of 266 million, um, so they're, they're only making, only making 266 million right. a year. Okay. Uh, as, as profit. Is that right? Okay. No. And the profit over at Azure and AWS is, well, the revenue is significantly higher, right? Oh, and yeah, yeah. The revenue is significantly higher, but also the margin. Like it's always going to be low. I mean, I think we can assume AWS is going to uh, report later, but AWS and, and Microsoft, we can say they're making significantly more, right? Yeah. Like billions. But, they're making billions, right? That, And I think this is like, you know, this is the unfortunate thing, I think, you know, because we kind of joke about like, is Google committed? Right. I think we kind of always have that joke is, you know, because you like uh, and I am I something on you like killed by Google. Right. It's always like, oh, they just they killed off something really good. But when you read this next um, line here, it's like because Google, the if you will, the search engine and the ad business is doing great. So the company mm-hmm. reported ad revenue of fifty nine point six five billion in the third quarter uh, compared with 54 billion. So that's really right there. That's $5 billion more, right? That's all of basically, not all of it, but no, I guess half of what GCP makes. And, uh, it goes on to say that YouTube, uh, reported revenue of, uh, 7.95 billion. So again, an up over basically a billion from last time. So the advertising business of Google, right? Which that's really where all the money comes from when you get down to it between YouTube and Google search. I mean, an absolute money machine. So I always just envision, you know, this this uh, the the staff meeting, right? You have the GCP leader coming in, uh, Thomas Corian. Right? Then you have the head of Google Search come in, and then you have the head of YouTube uh, come in, and it's like, like it's got to be an uncomfortable meeting, right? You know, you're like <laughs> you're sitting there, and two your peers are making billions and billions. Of, I mean, like literally just printing money. I mean, yes. with with uh, capital costs that are probably pretty well understood and then you know i'm sure you're you're given some slack like hey we need you to build that but there's got to be a lot of internal pressure to be like you need to be creating a business that's at least on par with youtube right you can't um so i don't know am, am i overstating that do you think do you think maybe the google people have a much longer term view towards gcp or well, the, the, the revenue 
the revenue of YouTube ads is less than Google Cloud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's probably a boatload more people at Google Cloud, though. Um, but yeah, I. But what what's Google gonna do, right? If you 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 can't give up. I mean, you just you. Know, if you give up, you're ceding the future to Microsoft and 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 AWS. I mean, there there's there's no turning back, right? We've already established, like, you know, if <laughs> if if you're not in it, uh, you 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 will never be in it again. Is pretty much where we are at this point. Um, maybe I'm wrong, you know, but I, I feel like you know we've got enough of a fast follower culture and and the the cloud providers that like nobody's really sneaking up on them. Um, at, especially at the scale that they're at. And so you can't really cede that land, that territory to your competitors. Even, you know, even if you're like, fine, we're just going to go back into advertising. It's like, well, that just means it's one less place for you to, you know, make money. And then, you know, if, if you're not making new money, you know, the pub, private equity is coming for you. <laughs> no, I think, well, I think that's the question. I mean, I think the, the quote unquote, although it won't happen at Google because you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Google gets acquired by private equity. Well, <laughs> they have the whole ownership structure right around yes. the founders still kind of control it. But it is one of those questions though. I do think it's, I think what you said is right. That it's not like they're going back. GCP is going to be here forever, right? They're going to be using, but maybe the question is just sort of like, are they willing to kind of go all in? And like really, you know, be like, hey, we like. Well, what are, what we are they? What are they down, not doing? Down. What, are, what are they not doing? Well, I think the could... question I would have is just more. It's not so much that I think GCP that group is not doing stuff. It's just more like I guess it would be maybe more like the focus of like how much time. Like I kind of get the sense of you know, like there's the, like I don't know how they are structured. Like you know where where the meetings are, the buildings. But I just feel like GCP is like its own little unit, right? They operate, obviously they're operating as an enterprise company and they're hiring out of salespeople and sales engineers. And like, you know, it kind of runs probably like more the businesses that we know well. Whereas meanwhile, there's this other group that is just like, man, we're just, we just throw out a lot of A-B tests and we find new ways to, to throw up ads and they just make tons of money. And it's like, so I guess it's just like within that business, right? I guess when you're running the whole thing, it's like, can you create a structure where it's like, no, no, no. Like everyone has focus on GCP it's almost like i almost take it back to our discussion last week around open source right it's like no does everybody at google are they like we need gcp to be successful we're all in on it like i kind of feel like there's like the gcp people right yeah and then there's like the google people and they're like yeah i don't know the gcp people like i think they're like they're building some tools and then you would ask the follow-up question be like well don't we use those tools when we deploy it no no the google people like no 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 we have our own stuff we use borg I don't know. They, they, they use oh, the the watered down brutal. versions, right, of of the tools. So if you got any sense that would be the culture. Oh man, you're probably right. They're, they're probably they're probably like everyone's got a Google.com email address, and the others have like a GCP.com. Well, I know this. I'm pretty sure this is <laughs> the case. And someone from Google can correct me if I'm wrong. I know sometimes, like, if you want to interview there, like, one of the first questions they'll ask you, like, do you want to be considered for cloud? So it's like a different track or like, yeah, kind yeah. of put in a different pile. Like, mm-hmm. oh, do you want to work at like Google? Because, like, if you're on the Google, let's just, I know it's Alphabet, but if you're on like the Google, it's like you can work on anything. They're like, I don't know. It could be maps in Australia. It could be ads in, you know, uh, Boulder, Colorado, whatever. It's just like anything, right? 
But if you're, but if you say uh, GCP, they're like, oh, wait a minute, hold on, that's another. They have to click. They're like, that's another uh, little. You're like, oh, on. you will be a sales engineer. Yeah. So they're like, there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to work on the cloud stuff, and that's only. So I don't know. So maybe that's like an interesting tell. Uh, although maybe someone from Google can confirm. Maybe. Well, that's you, you'd hope that at least. Like at the, you know, at the engineering level, there's some, some crossover where they're like, you know, Hey, because this is the folks solving for scaling issues at YouTube are going to be solving for scaling issues in the, the guts of the cloud. Right. I, I mean, cause you know, anecdotally, I, I knew some, know somebody who works at AWS and like, yeah, they moved between commerce and cloud solving related issues. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, Oh, you know, we have, we have performance issues and you know, you will, you know, kind of migrate around within the organization, solving those sorts of things. But yeah, other than core engineering, probably you get siloed pretty fast in in the Google Cloud side of things. I, I would assume. That would be interesting. We should just like, uh, you know, we have no real data, but my guess is like, <laughs> we don't need AWS. You get hired at AWS. They like literally like wherever we think you need you. Like it could be anything. You could be a retailing cloud. I feel like there would be very little, um, boundaries. Now there, it may be a little bit chaotic. You'd be like, wait a minute, I want to stay on the cloud stuff. You're like, nope, you're working on the DVD business. And you're like, what do you mean? I, I, there, is there a DVD <laughs> business? You're like, yes, there is. You're on it now. So I think there would be like massive fluidity there. I think Microsoft probably like, I, I feel like it's an enterprise company. So it feel, feels like you could move around there pretty quick. I don't know. Maybe the Microsoft Word person isn't like, let me jump on Azure. Maybe maybe there are some boundaries. Yeah, I, I feel there's probably some boundaries between the consumer side to the the cloud product side, but those are even blurry now. With the, you know, do they have anything that's not that's well? I was going to say that's desktop only. They literally have desktop. Well, maybe the Xbox. So. I bet you probably can't go from the Xbox to Azure. Well, I don't know. Maybe you could. Do you think? I don't know the Xbox team. That'd be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, then I was going to say, well, I feel like, though, if you want to go from the GCP group to the Google group, I bet you there's like an interview in between. You're like, hmm, oh, yeah. we need to talk. Like, we're not like you need to go through our interview loop. So I don't know. Well, listen, we'll give it to uh, the listeners. If you have an opinion on that, and you want to like, you know, tell us in the Slack or you want to quietly tell me uh, anonymously. That's also fine, too. I always like to hear like you know, how it really is, because I don't really know. What do, what do <laughs> I know? Is it, so? I'm just, just we're, guy we're just talking. Phone. Yeah. We're just talking. All right, final cloud uh, thing that I thought I'd just mention here because why not? It's it seemed like a fit here. It's that Amazon officially launches the European sovereign cloud as the EU data debate rages. So I don't know. It just just seems like bigger uh, yeah, than makes sense, one. right? Like yeah, it does. It feels this is like it feels a little bit like wait a minute, wasn't this already? But it feels like okay, good, good. It seems like uh, it feels like Amazon's sort of solved the problem. Be like okay. We're putting you. Uh, we're putting all your the EU data over here. Send us uh, the long uh, list of regulations, and that's what that data is going to happen. I don't know. Is there anything else we need to know about that? Does that seem? Really I mean, I, I'm I'm surprised they didn't already have that. But last I heard, they don't have that in Australia either. And yeah, you know, they're just like, man, eh, you can use our data centers. They're fine. And meanwhile, you know, Microsoft is in like the government data centers. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't feel like what's what's the latest over there. In Australia? I don't feel like you don't have you're not quite you. you we're, we're not exactly a huge. We're not quite. Not, we're not exactly the EU. Not EU level of uh, no. the privacy, right? So, so no, so. but I, I would assume that like you know you have your GovCloud and you'd probably do your EU GovCloud. Yeah, you're just you know you're on the list. Let's be honest, you're on the list. Australia is on the list. It's just it's next quarter or it's just further out. It's well, on well, the map. It's going to the competition's out. already there, and you know making hay. All right, so. All right, well, we'll uh, have to see. So I guess 
we'll wrap up cloud earnings by saying Microsoft A plus, Google will just say uh, needs work, needs a little support, right? <laughs> and then uh, AWS, uh, we will tune in next week to see. Yeah, we're, we're, we're always grading AWS on a curve. What right? do we think, yeah. Matt? Is does AWS exceed expectations? Meet expectations? Are slightly missed? I'm gonna go with meet. I, meet. I, I, I'm gonna go with meet. All right, I think that would yeah. be good. That would I also be good for our show because yeah. that would be great because we'd have everyone in each bucket. That would be so hopefully. Hey, it's not too late, AWS. If you want to update your earnings release because uh, that would fit our bucket. <laughs> and we could already write the AWS. It's like, it's good, but how good could it have been? Do you think? <laughs> I think it's, it's going to be like $100 billion and we'll just be like. During the earnings call, does um, someone say we're hey we're three steps into a marathon you know ai is just beginning do do they say that do they say early innings or do they because i feel like three steps into the marathon has become the new talking point that's what i hear well i think if if you're the spicy analyst you 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 start with a question about github copilot and you just see you just see how they get flustered and respond to that this could be a segment for the whole show what we want the analyst financial analyst to ask so i would have proposed this phrasing it'd be like jerks on the phone go (laughs) it would be something along the lines of like hey red uh uh i guess be jassy hey hey, red the earnings release and congratulations on the quarter just i know we're three steps into the ai race but have you seen the results of github (laughs) copilot they're out running a 120 million dollar uh annual recurring revenue business solely on this developer tool where are you at i think that would be a fantastic question because like you're getting both you're like don't you get the talking point in there first then you hit them with the statistic and then you because i think that's a pretty good pin down question like it'd be like yeah some numbers can i get a uh uh can we get breakout numbers for polly and (laughs) (laughs) i bet you jazzy comes back with like he probably just goes an hour on SageMaker. Right about like the last three years of SageMaker, and he just beats that guy down. It's like, yeah, you want me to go deeper? I will. I will. I will spend the next two hours going through all of the SageMaker. Well, and, and you know, the, the the funny thing is, there's probably there's probably some whale like a Morgan Stanley who does like a hundred million a year on SageMaker. True. True. Right. You know, and so he's like, oh yeah, you want to talk about AI? You know, we we've got an AI product. I'm like, yeah. They probably would. They probably whip up, whip out some like midwest midwestern manufacturing unit that's like has like spending a two billion dollars on it, and we're like, exactly. I've never heard of that company, and we're like, yep, sounds like a great business. So, <laughs> Me and, but we'll still say you need improvement. You need improvement. It needs improvement. All right. Well, tune in next week where we uh, will review Amazon's earnings. All right. Well, another uh, topic near and dear to my heart, but no one else really cares. But I'm going to make us talk about it. Passwords. So, a couple things on passwords this week. One. Uh, this is sort of the worst case. Hackers stole access tokens from uh, Okta support unit. So this is like an interesting happening. Like, you know, everyone's been moving to single sign-on. Uh, Okta, rather, is one of the, the most popular ones. So it has become a popular target. So I don't know, Matt, what is, like, are you worried about this? Do you think about your single, sign, single sign-on providers? Do you not even care? I, I worry, but, you know, I, I got enough other things keeping me up at night that it's pretty far down the list. Well, one of the victims was 1Password. So 1Password, funny enough, uses Okta as a single sign-on. So they went through, I went through their blog post. They said there was no specific, uh, um, if you will, data loss or infiltrations. But it is something, I don't know, I feel like we have to kind of, uh, I don't know, be more aware of like who our single sign-on providers are. But the other things, uh, I don't know, pass keys, Matt, have you used a pass key yet? Have you enabled a pass key no, in any not. event? 
None? No, I None have not. No. Nope. Do you even know? This is actually more of a test. Like, do you even know what a passkey is? Do you, do you even know? Do you I, even I, care? I do, uh, but I haven't. Right. And, right. and, and I haven't upgraded my one password to like get access to that stuff. I haven't upgraded my, my operating system. I'm, I'm practically living in the stone ages here. You, my friend, you're just, you're running everything HTTP, plain text passwords. It doesn't matter. Everything's in the logs. Matt, Matt is a, a it's only Kubernetes. It's not a problem. Well, I was going to say, I was just going to throw it out. So passkeys, I've been playing around with the passkeys uh, quite a bit with the one password implementation. I think really good. I'm surprised how well it has worked. So I I would definitely, if you haven't done it, and uh, uh, I guess to say one password has a nice list of sites that support it. So like GitHub being one. So definitely worth like trying it out. The one thing I did want to say, like I've seen a lot of stuff written about it. And I don't know if it's intentional or if it's just like general confusion is that when you read about the main, I don't even say the tech press seems to want to like imply that a pass key requires a biometric. So this is just my one, if you will, like, I don't know, it just bothers me. I see it. So all in the end of the day is you can use a biometric to secure, you know, if you will, what is basically, you know, a public private key encryption thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's just using, if you will, if you have an iPhone, you can use face ID to unlock one password. But you can also just use your passcode or you can just use a password to right. get into your phone. So there is no, you know, if you will, pass keys are not like tied to biometrics in any specific way. So I just like every time I keep seeing this, people are like, how is the biometric information <laughs> going to be stored? What's going on? It's like, no, no, no. At the end of the day, this is like some weird long number thing that is like unreadable that's being saved whether it's by one password or by your uh, what Apple keychain or whatever else. And it, And you can unlock that in many ways one being a biometric but you can also just use a pin or a password so i don't know i just feel like the world needs to know that there is nothing special about they're gonna steal our eyeballs and thumbs brandon right there is nothing they're not gonna steal that they but now they would try to steal this long thing but again this we're not gonna go through public private key encryption because every time i try to explain it i get it wrong so just find your favorite youtube video but behind the scenes that's all that's happening so it's worth it though. It is nice once it's all working and you no longer have to use that stupid two factor authentication. You're just like, great. You know, let, let the computers do the math is, and it, and it's all done and it's like perfect. So, so I, I and like, I keep thinking I should get myself a YubiKey. <laughs> you can, you can do it. I mean, you can store your pass keys on a YubiKey. I mean, that's fine. Then you just have to like find, then it's just like, you just have to find the thing. Right. I so know. it's like, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're smart enough to keep your YubiKey close by and like, you know, have it plugged into your Mac or, you know, or when you need it, you can plug it in. It, that would be a fine solution. You should do it. We should yeah. probably have like, we should, you don't you friends with the YubiKey guys. We should have, maybe have them on and they can like take us through and be like, give us another pitch about why the YubiKey is going to save the world. Maybe this is the time. I doubt it, but like, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we can, it's I a bright like future. I feel, bright I feel future. like this, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can come on and be like, no, no, let me explain to you, Brandon. Yeah. This, this is why you need it. So, so open invitation to YubiKey people. They want to come on. They, they're happy to do it. Now, uh, the next big, big announcement um, that's going to come next week, so we'll have a full review of it because, you know, we are the number one Apple uh, podcast. No one else covers Apple like us. So next week, Apple has a quote-unquote surprise event, and it looks like it's going to be something about uh, faster Macs. Now, all speculation is it's going to be the M3. So, okay. My question is, uh, because this is going to be chip corner, we're going to go, we can go do... Let's go chip corner. We have no idea 
we don't know anything about the M3, and really, we don't know that much about Apple. There's a million sure we podcasts. We, we know everything we need to know about it already. But I was going to say this is the part I think maybe we can we can look at it because this is back to the question you were we were talking about with Microsoft about like, hey, how is expensive is it going to be to keep running these things now? All indications are that the M3, or not all indications are like we know the M3 is going to be the first chip, uh, at least the a microprocessor for the the Macs that uses the three nanometer chip technology. So mm-hmm. going from the five nanometer to the three nanometer. And so the short story there is every time you go down, you get more transistors in there, less power, faster computers. So what do you think? I the the kind of the I want to say the feeling is that going from five to three nanometer. The benefits that we've seen with other transitions uh, as we go further down uh, have been significant. But there's, I feel like there's just kind of a, a feeling out there that we're starting to edge up towards like you're not going to see this big jump. So when they announce this M3 and they start to do the benchmarks, do you think we're going to see significant improvements uh, to performance? What do you think, Matt? If I'm a betting man and uh, I'm going to say you're going to see within – Five percent of the same improvement of going from the M1 to the M2. So pretty. That's now that the the key thing there is the M1 M2 was the same five nanometer technology. So okay, okay. So by doing the step, no, but I think what you're saying, like people are like it's kind of out there. Like the latest uh, iPhones, they're not significantly faster, right. right? And the the 14 to 15 wasn't this big jump. So and of course, like we can count on Apple, no matter what it is, they're going to have some graph. It's oh yeah, the graph going is going right. to be up and to the right. Yeah, like, it's going to be the exciting. Will have no units uh, of measure on either axis, which is always like, which is fantastic. Like, listen, if I could do that when I presented, just be like line going straight up with no units, perfect. So we know they're going to say it's great and it's three nanometer and this is the future. And the reason I think this is kind of interesting is like it goes back to your question around AI. It's like, well, unless somebody we don't figure this three nanometer out or something doesn't get a lot cheaper to build these chips, then it is going to cost us a lot of money to keep running these AI queries. So that's why I think this is like an interesting, like little, like well, there, into the future. There, there's actually, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a chip guy, but you know, we talk about it on the podcast enough. Um, I know that there has been uh, some AI involved in in chip design for like finding more efficient patterns. I mean, you know, years ago they got this with antenna where you had like, uh, uh, what do they call them? Like evolutionary, you know, uh, patterns where they just let computers design antennas and you ended up with some like crazy wonky shapes. Well, they're kind of doing that with chip design where they're like, okay, here's what it needs to be. How can you make it denser? Go. And, you know, you, it keeps iterating over it. And, reportedly you know they've come up with some like you know some design enhancements that are ai based i mean you know they're or you know rules engine based however you like to think about it but um but but there you know so so there is some improvement coming um whether it's you know stacking things vertically instead of going horizontally or you know whatever whatever it may be um so yeah i i but i i still maintain like the the jump will be lost on most users. Um, I mean, I'm I'm still rocking my 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 M1 MacBook Air, and really, there's nothing it can't do that I run into. Uh, especially now that I got a new monitor. Um, you know, I, I thought the video was bad; it was the monitor. Um, so so yeah, I, I think you know, uh, I 
I'm not going to be at the, you know, jumping ahead of the line to upgrade uh, until, you know, current laptop dies. <laughs> yeah, no, I do think I have the same feeling. I have uh, an M1 that's actually, I guess, old by today's standards, several years old. But like, I don't know. It's like, it's fast. I mean, it just seems it's fast. Solid. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, more battery, like for the average user, like, I think the one thing I do like about the M1 is just sort of like, I kind of forget that it's powered by a battery. Like I just leave it out for like days yeah. and then I like, yeah. and then it's like, sometimes it goes red and I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, it's like, I do have to plug this in. So plug, you plug it in once a week. So it'll be cool. Maybe the M3 uses a little less uh, power. And but know, does it even need to use less? I mean, that's the thing is like, can it just be like, you know, amazingly faster at the same? Cause it's- well, the thing, the door that, um, is open, right? And uh, very long time, long, long time listeners of uh, Software Prime Talk will remember this phrase, silver pants, which was, oh, yeah. They had a laptop, 12 like, inch power, power book. This is like probably 20 years ago. I mean, this is a long time ago, maybe 15. It I don't was, even it know. It was back, back in our, our BMC days. So, it was yeah. like a tiny 11 inch a great uh, laptop. laptop. And it was like, even, even by today's standards, it was super small. It was thick, yeah. but it was super yeah, small yeah, yeah, and yeah. great. And it was like, man, if they were to remake that laptop now, which I guess they would say it's an iPad. Well, I know they would say it was an iPad and that's kind of what it is, but it's like, no, no, no. If it had the keyboard and you lift it up and it could be paper thin, right? I, I'm just like, I don't know. I just well, they, like- they already dropped the 11 inch air. Like my wife still uses her 11 inch Intel 2015 MacBook air, you know, and she oh, loves wow. that thing. Yeah. 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 And, you know, so they dropped the whole 11 lines. So clearly there's not a market there for, well, I think there yeah. is. I think they say, I think the Apple people would tell us, no, that's why you have iPads. But I, I think we all know if no. there was that super small, you know, 10, 11 inch thing and it ran everything and it was just, well, that's what fast. I have. I, I've got, I've got a 13 inch, you know, okay. air. I'm and it's, you, there's it's another level of smallness that could go on where we'd all be like, yep. how much smaller, Brandon? How much smaller? We need it. We need it. <laughs> I, I think we need it. I do. You, I you, miss, you, I you miss the netbook days? Well, I just know because that's the thing. I want a laptop that does everything because I also really because I, I really because I've always I have these iPads and, and we have them around the house, but like I almost never use them. And I'm like, yeah. really, I just want a small iPads have died out in my house. Yeah, I just want an iPad Mac, right? Where it's just like that's like my travel thing, right? And I can leave the other stuff. Yep. So, uh, all, all right, the so iPads are gone. Yeah, everybody that's watching the thing. So, I guess watch for the M3. Of course, we'll all decide, you know, what, what I'm sure it'll be great. And there'll be some cool new features um, that I'll, I'll want to adopt soon. Matt will adopt in three years, but more importantly, what you, everyone else should be watching is like, see if the chips are actually any faster. Cause that will be like a good little window. It'll be faster, but you know, it's significant. The, right? the, the, the speed is, out. the speed is lost on people. That's my point. Right. No, but I think the reason it's interesting for us is it's sort of like, Hey, this sort of gives you a window into be like, well, if these chips are getting a lot faster, Maybe the GPUs, when they get to the fact that they're taking advantage of this new manufacturing and shrink, like they will get a lot cheaper. Well, like, and, and, and probably, cool. probably they'll come out with the the M3, and so they can save the, the M3 Max and the M3 Turbo XL or whatever yeah, for, for the next product lines. Yeah. Right. So, so it'll be like significantly faster, but there'll still be like room for improvement. Well, maybe the thing we should be watching is more specifically we should be looking at the gpu like does anything about the gpu get alive because then you know that gets into nvidia's space right because it seems like well and nvidia announced that they're coming into the desktop space so 2025 nvidia is going to be shipping desktop arms they've already said that i want that that'd be interesting that'd be does anybody want that we've got that they said you're right support windows Yeah, you're right so i guess that'd be our windows kind of thing that'd be interesting yeah well that'd be interesting if apple and nvidia could kind of like start to 
fight. That, I think that'd be good for us. I think we'd get like more computing power. I don't know. No, I don't yeah. know well no it's good. It. So, all right, we'll make it happen. All right. Well, uh, one other topic that maybe we do know something about because, you know, we know so much about chips. Um, I just thought this, uh, this headline was really good. So I'll just read it here. Uh, despite the hype, engineers not impressed with the Dora metrics. So I like this because someone did a survey about a survey. So it's like the meta survey. They surveyed people about do they like taking the Dora survey and do they think the metrics are useful? And so this was the response. Overall, 50, 52% of engineers surveyed who could uh, speak on the subject said that a set of metrics assembled by Google is either not at all or only somewhat effective. So they're just basically saying 52% of the people kind of think the Dora metrics are pointless. And I was like, that is like an interesting... <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think if you ask if you ask developers, fifty percent of them are going to be unhappy with whatever it is, right? So maybe that's the whole thing. Is like, can you like so? But there is like I like the idea of like going back and like just rethinking the whole thing. It's like, yeah, yes, you need to like you know measure something to see what's going on. But I like the fact that like, and especially if you read more of the article, it was sort of like I don't know. Sometimes I feel like this with Dora when I read it too. I'm like these are hard questions to answer, right? Like, you know what I mean? If you're just like reading these questions, like, like, do you know what productivity is? And like, it kind of just like calls into question a lot of the stuff. It's like, who knows if these are the right questions? Who knows if this is the right stuff to be measured? And when you ask the people who are being measured, they don't seem all that enthusiastic about it. So I don't know. It just seems a little bit like, yeah, like maybe we should think more about this. Maybe these metrics um, aren't as useful as people think. I, I, I think you're ascribing more navel gazing to developers than they give themselves. <laughs> I think they, I think they're mostly happy to just do their work and whatever is in front of them, and they're not thinking about the the meta textual context that Dora or Space or any of these frameworks are, are going to apply. They're just like, but they're the ones that whatever. The doors, but they fill the Dora survey out, right? I mean, they're the yeah. ones ultimately. The data starts with them, right? They're the ones. That I know, them. but 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 but. Like having done it, surveys, after a while, you just kind of get burned out on the survey and you're like, whatever, I'm just finishing this thing. Right. But that's the whole point. That is, that, you're I know. My point. That's my point. It's like, I'm not sure. Like, when they, especially because they also talked about, like, I guess the previous ones were very long, I guess. And they said that. So basically, Dora made it shorter. And so I was just sort of like, I don't know. There's just some, someone like, this is another quote I liked about, like, uh, some other person said it. It was like something like, uh, Google's OKRs were like a, like some kind of like, like a denial of service attack on all Silicon Valley because like everyone tried to adopt them and use AK, OKRs, but then it was like really hard to come up with them. And it was it just kind of slowed everyone down. It was like hard to come up with them, hard to measure them. No one was doing it right, and it just became like another thing that people were checking the box. So I just thought like when it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that, like maybe all this Dora stuff, like is it really? Because I think the one thing they kind of come in there, like someone said it, I think in the in that. Um, that whole thing was just like, well, it really just comes down to like deadlines, right? Like kind of like in the end, it's just like, I don't know. Do you, are you shipping? Yeah. 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 And it's like, I don't know. I mean, maybe in the end it's like, that's kind of the only measurement like that people like, I mean, you can, yes, it's just like, yeah, we did it. And like, now you can say we, we met the deadline and everyone hates each other, right? The blameless postmortem was a fight and everyone's yelling and people are quitting. You'd be like, well, Seems like the process is wrong. Or we met our deadline. At deadlines. least we shipped some code. Yeah. Yeah. And people, or you can say like people, we met the deadlines and people were generally like, not, they weren't unhappy. You know, then you'd be like, oh, sounds like you got a good engineering culture. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I, everyone else can just, I'll just leave it in the show links. You can read it uh, and decide for yourself if the Dora metrics are, are, are useful. But I like it. Now, 
if someone goes another level, if someone does a survey about the survey about the door results, we're not, we'd be trip, we'd be three levels Ooh. down. That I'm all in for. Like, was and then the, the survey, top just stand still. Right. It, it, was the survey about the Dora survey useful? That's a, that would be a fantastic effort. Mm, did you I have a so retrospective? That'd be so fantastic. All right. Final thing I wanted to get to a little follow up from last week. So last week uh, we talked about Amazon is going to sign a billion dollar deal for Microsoft 365. So here are the details. It's uh, $1 billion over five years. And if you, and they're going to uh, get a license for a million users. That's what the report is. So if you do all the math, if I've done it correctly, that's $200 per user, which is, I think, pretty much the list price for Office. So <laughs> in the end, I don't know. I guess there wasn't, you know, in the end. Yep. The, uh, you get a golf club for that one. Yes. The Microsoft rep held his ground. He's, uh, he's getting a big bonus. Whoever's getting that. Uh, yep. Whoever's yep. taking the $1 billion uh, deal to the Q, uh, QBR, they had a great year. In fact, they should get their um, their bonus and they should immediately leave. That's what I would recommend. You're never going to replicate that. You should leave. So. Um, all right. A few other things on listener feedback. Uh, friend of the show, Laura, recommends uh, Omnivore. And it's a free open source read it later app for serious reader. I don't know. Are you, Matt, do you, have, or do you use this? Are you? Uh, I don't that? use this. I, I do use the Send a Kindle plugin. Um, so yeah. I, I do read things on my my e-reader, uh, you know, long stuff, but mostly I'm still just leaving tabs open until I get around to them. I like it. That's the, that, that's the default lifestyle right there. The default lifestyle is just leave the tab open until, until you get to it. But I appreciate uh, Laura recommending that in the Software Defined Talk Slack. Also, if you want a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. We do have some conferences coming up. In fact, some of the people from Software Defined Talk are going to be at them. November 6th through the 9th, KubeCon North America. Uh, we are officially a media sponsor. So you should go there and you should say Software Defined Talk is the only reason you went. And you should visit Matt. <laughs> Matt, what are you doing there? Tell us what you're doing. I'm, I'm wearing my, my KubeCon EU shirt right now. So And you're uh, going to be manning a... I will be, I will be there. Odd or uh, booth? What do they call them? Um, a kiosk. I'm in the kiosk. Project Pavilion. I'll be at the Open Cost Kiosk uh, most of the time. All right. Well, if you join the Software Defined Talk Slack, there's a channel called Meetups IRL in real life there. And uh, there's a bunch of people that are going to be there. I think Professor Jeremy, uh, his school is actually, I think, just a few, like one sub subway stop is going to be there. I think Jordy, fan of the show, they're going to be there. So if uh, someone can get organized and find Matt, maybe, you know, you guys can all go have a dinner or, you know, maybe buy some beers or whatever or maybe someone can find someone from vmware to buy everyone beers i don't oh, know. Yeah. You know something will be there and uh kote has provided a discount code now if kote here he would read this entire discount code which is yeah, in the show notes i think it's like 12 characters i'm not going to do that because i don't feel compelled but if you want to get 20 percent off go to the show notes and as we learned last week even you apple podcast players you can just open it up right now and you can see this long code so when you register you can do it now kote will not be at the uh, KubeCon because he's going to be at VMware Explore Barcelona. And that's also November 6th through the 9th. I feels like, you know, it feels like that was a bad scheduling, right? It feels like somebody should have moved their event. What do you think, Matt? Uh, having been to VMworld EU and North America, the EU version of it was deeper into the virtualization side. Okay. So, you know, I'm just saying maybe they haven't quite, you know, Maybe it's not the the overlapping audience that you might You're not expect. ready for containers yet. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. I like it. There's a lot of things to be careful. Well, who knows? It could be. It, 
I mean, probably the VMware acquisition could have closed by then. So who knows? That'll be another exciting event to see what they, they talk about there. So go check it out and go find Kote and find him and see if he'll buy you like uh, an appetizer or something. And then also <laughs> on November 7th and 8th, there's the Risk Five Summit, and that's uh, Linux Foundation events. Um, Matt's coworker is going to be there, so maybe you yeah. find him. Who knows? You know. Uh, more importantly, as we discussed in the pre-show, it's Risk Five. It's not Risk V. So, so go there and call it Risk Five. That way, you really look like you know what you're talking about. And I'm going to make Matt get us a report from the show from his coworker, uh, so we can, <laughs> we can figure out what's going on. And then finally, uh, January 29th, our friends at the VAT conference. So that one's the 29th through February 1st. That's down here in Texas, very close to me. So you should come down. That's a fun conference. That's really uh, all about the attendees. So that's probably, you know, if you will, I'm going to say that's the most, oh, and it's also at a water park. So that's the most fun conference actually on here because you can actually go to a water park. Definitely the wettest. (laughs) Absolutely. And of course, if you want to uh, have your conference mentioned, uh, email us and we'll find some way to become a media sponsor and it'll all work. I'll work out. So with having said all that, uh, Matt, you have a recommendation for us this week. Uh, my recommendation is uBlock Origin. So, um, you know, I, I run ad blockers, multiple ones, you know, for <laughs> different privacy things. And uh, last week or maybe the last two or three weeks, um, Google uh, started rolling out an ad blocker defeater in um, YouTube. Where it says, you know, oh, we see you're using an ad blocker, you know, turn it off or, you know, you won't be able to watch this. Click here to close this window. And so you close it and you're like, whatever. Yeah. And then Saturday, it just stopped working. They're like, you know, you can't watch this. Your ad blocker's still on. And I was like, oh, crap. Uh, the uBlock Origin guys fixed it. <laughs> so it works again. Um, so uh, thank goodness for for open source. Uh, that's that's my my. Shout so it out. does work. It's back to like I can That's install it. Work. And see everything. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. No, no YouTube ads in uh, in my browser of choice. And so uh, shout out to the UBlock Origin guys for uh, updating updating the, their uh, their code. Now, where do you stand on YouTube Premium? Have you have you, have you ever uh, decided to ever attempted to pay for it or no? I just UBlock Origin is enough. Yeah, I, I just I I don't I got enough content as it is. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all don't we all that's good though. well that's a good i'll have to try you block orange i'll have to see what it is i do think youtube premium though i don't know and the more you use, the more i watch youtube the more i'm like yeah it's pretty good there's a lot of random stuff on there so uh check that out all right so my recommendation this week and i want i was wondering matt if you've ever tried this have you ever heard of this uh ascii cinema have you ever heard of this i yes i it, i mean i'm not exactly familiar with that application maybe i've used it before there are a couple is it uh console capture yeah so this is uh the kind of the tagline is record and share your terminal sessions the simple way and so what's interesting about it is there's actually a podcast uh, where they interviewed the creator of it so it's open source it's free and it's really interesting how it all works so it doesn't um like i would have assumed if you would have asked me beforehand it's like oh it just takes like a video of the session and it doesn't mm-hmm. do that it basically records if you will, like all the ASCII um, commands and then it like replays it back in a way that is, um, if you will, um, dynamically sizes it. So you can go out to their website and you can check it out. And also it doesn't record sound or anything. So these little demos are tiny. They're just like very, very small things. So it's, it's sort of like a whole different way to make, if you will, a command line demo. So I was wondering 
Uh, and Michael here in the chat is saying that he loves that thing. So I feel like it's something like um, many, I think probably people listening to this, like developers or anyone like DevRel, if you're making lots of these uh, little command line sessions to show stuff, uh, it seems like the perfect tool. So I don't know. I'm really, really interested and really creative way to do it. So if you want uh, to hear all about that, definitely check out the podcast link. It's uh, from the changelog team did a really nice interview with them and it goes into like a ton of detail, but surprisingly interesting about how uh, could how it all works. So like, I don't know, maybe it's just like a really good example of open source. Like, I don't know, just a really smart person, like applying like an incredible amount of thinking to like what seems like a simple problem, but it was like incredibly well done. So, so check that out. All right. Well, if this is the first time you've ever listened to the show. Welcome. Uh, if you'd like to uh, go follow us on the social channels, go down to softwaredefinedtalk.com. If you would like to read the show notes, Matt, how can you read the show notes? How could someone in, uh, listening right now on Apple Podcasts, how could they read the show notes? Uh, I think it's 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 in the it's the in there. Now. It's in there. Just it's in there. Over. You can see it. Yeah, but just... if you still don't want to do it, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 438 and you can read it. And if you're like, at the end of this, you're like, man, I wonder what those guys were talking about um, when they said recommendations. You know what? There's a, there's a chapter marker in there. So you can just like scroll up and you can be like, I'm going to go back and re-listen to Matt's great recommendation because I want to understand how I can watch YouTube. So you should use the chapter markers to go back and hear that. All right. Well, that's enough uh, pitch about uh, the software defined talk production. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. All right, Matt, we're doing a software defined talk after dark. It's usually Ooh. always after dark for Kote, but it's after dark for me. And I feel like the central time zone still remains the official time zone of software defined talk. I don't know. <laughs> time zone, some people refer to it. So for you, it's actually a reasonable hour for you today, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you got a little, we gave you a little extra time to sleep in to, to if you will, dream up some hot takes. Kote, uh, I believe he's vacationing somewhere in Europe. I forgot where it was. So makes uh, sense. So it's going to be, I don't know, maybe we should just automatically give this show an R rating because it's starting late. <laughs>